0: We have many examples and illustrations in the scriptures as to why we should give thanks to the Lord. I don't know of one that would stand out any more than the one that Brother Tim spoke to us about this morning. To be cleansed of leprosy and then continue on without returning to give glory to the Lord is an amazing thing. And I really had never thought about the thought that uh, the Lord is sovereign in these matters as he healed, of course, uh, Naaman in the Old Testament day. There were many lepers in that day, but the Lord cleansed just one. In this case, he cleansed ten, knowing only one was going to give him thanks, but he still cleansed the others. What an amazing display of God's power, but also of his mercy. Appreciate the thoughts very much. This morning, I'd like to take a look at a journey the Apostle Paul took. That's recorded in Acts chapter 27. This has always been one of my favorite chapters in the book of Acts, and one of my favorite passages in all the Word of God, and I'm just kind of thankful the Lord has put it back upon my mind this morning, but I feel like a a great deal of uh, uh, interest, and I hope the Lord is in the arrangement and will bless us this morning. Now, in Acts chapter 27, we find the Apostle Paul is on a ship. Uh, This is not a cruise ship. Uh, This is not a sightseeing ship. This is a ship that is loaded with prisoners, and they're on the way to Rome. Now, in the 28th chapter of the book of Acts, you'll find where Paul reaches Rome. And you're going to find where he gives testimony, as the Lord had told him that he would earlier in Acts chapter 23. If you look in Acts 23, in verse 11, you'll find where the Bible says, The Lord stood by Paul during the night. And he said unto Paul, Be of good cheer. I want you to remember that expression this morning as well. Be of good cheer. As thou hast given testimony of me in Jerusalem, so shall thou bear witness in Rome. Now here we have a clear expression of God's will for Paul to go to Rome to give witness. Earlier in the 19th chapter of Acts, you'll find where Paul stated that he would want to go to Rome after he left Jerusalem. Now, that tells me what Paul's desire was and what Paul's will was. But more importantly, in Acts 23, I read what God's will for Paul was. I just want to ask you this question in the beginning this morning. The expression, Lord willing, is that a meaningless expression to you? Is that a meaningless expression? How often do you use it? to be the Lord's will. To use that expression sincerely means that you take it seriously. That you want your life lived according to the will of God. When the Lord Jesus Christ taught his disciples to pray in Matthew chapter 6, he said, when you pray, you pray in this manner. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is telling his disciples that the Father has a will in heaven and the Father has a will for his people on this earth. And our prayer should be, Lord, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. I believe his will in heaven is carried out to total perfection. And we should be praying that his will on earth would reflect that. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul said, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed, that you may prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. To prove something is to test it. He said, be not conformed to this world. By nature, that's what we are inclined to do. But he says, don't do that. Be not conformed to this world. But be ye transformed that ye may prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. God's will is good, God's will is perfect, and God's will is acceptable. In the Ephesian letter, Paul tells the church at Ephesus, Be ye not unwise, understanding the will of the Lord. Now, I can give you more verses, but those are enough to establish the fact that the will of the Lord is something that's very important. Do we make our decisions first without consulting with the Lord? Or do we talk to the Lord about making those decisions? That's a, that's a big difference. Now, in Acts chapter 19, verse 21, you're going to find where it was Paul's will to go to Rome. But the question is, was it God's will? Well, in Acts 23 and 11, we find that it was. The Lord tells Paul, he says, if you borne testimony of me in Jerusalem, ye shall bear witness also in Rome. Now, the Lord spoke directly to Paul. I don't believe the Lord's ever spoken directly to me in an audible sound that I knew about it. Now, I think the Lord has talked to me a lot of times along the journey of life, and I hope that I've talked with the Lord. And I'd much rather have a two-way conversation than just a one-way, hadn't you? So when i talk to the Lord, I fully expect for the Lord to talk back to me. Not in an audible sound. But He also talks to me through His written word. When the Lord spoke this to Paul, Paul didn't have the Scriptures to go to. The Scriptures had not yet been recorded. In fact, Paul will be used to the Lord to record the majority of the New Testament Scriptures. So we find here that the Lord makes it clear to Paul what His will is for his life. He is to go to Rome. So I know that. You know, in the last part of James chapter 4, we find where the writer tells us that we should not say that we're going to go into the city and buy and sell and make gain this coming year. Remember, we should say, if it be the Lord's will. He says, what is your life anyway but a vapor? He reminds us that life is short, life is brief. And for us to be making plans apart from God is just foolishness. We need the Lord to guide our thoughts, God to guide, to guide our steps, direct us in life. The Bible will give you a general will for your life. But I believe that we need to be looking to the Lord to give us the pacifics, to help us. As we seek a wife, as we seek a husband, as we seek a job, we need to be clear that it's in harmony with God's will and the direction that we're going. How many decisions have we made in life? I only look back and thought, I'd have been better off if I'd asked the Lord about this before I made this decision. We just simply didn't do it. We're inclined to just go out on our own, go rogue, you might say, instead of involving the Lord in our everyday decisions. I'm talking about everyday decisions. As I look back in my life, I've made significant major decisions along the way. But I've needed the Lord to make every decision. I had asked the Lord to help me with every decision, much to my own, my own fault. I understand that. But I need to every single day. There's no decision you make that is too insignificant to take it to the Lord with. So Paul has a desire to go to Jerusalem, but I've had desires to do a lot of things, but I didn't make it the Lord's will just because I wanted to do it. But according to Acts 23 and 11, it is God's will for Paul to go to Rome. When we get to Acts chapter 28, we're going to find Paul in Rome. But what happens between Acts 23 and Acts 28 is very interesting when it comes to studying the life of the Apostle Paul. In chapter 24, you're going to find, actually in 23, immediately after the Lord tells him he's going to give testimony in Rome, there were over 40 men who bound themselves under an oath that they would not eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Now, they didn't kill Paul, but if they kept their oath, they died of hunger because they didn't kill him. And then immediately after that, we find that Paul is arrested falsely with charges that could not be proven. We find the apostle Paul in Acts 25 makes an appeal to go to Caesar. In Acts chapter 26, Verse 22, Paul makes a statement I think about a lot. He says, having obtained help of God, I continue to this day. Now you start tracing the travels of the Apostle Paul, start tracing his footsteps along the way in his service to the Lord. You can see, had it not been for God, he never would have gotten hardly started, much less completed the journey. So he tells it exactly right. Having obtained help of God, I continue to this day. That's the only reason I'm here this morning. Plain and simple. Having obtained help from God, I'm here today. What about you? How many times has God spared your life? How many times has God spoke to you at the last hour, you might say, and, and told you, this is not the way for you to go? And thank God, maybe you heeded that warning that God put right back here in your heart and your mind. Having obtained help from God, and God's help comes in many different ways. Many different ways. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16 says, Let us come boldly to the throne of grace, that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Trace Paul's life here in in these chapters in the book of Acts. Very interesting, the things that he went through. But I want to take a look at chapter 27 in particular. Chapter 27, we're going to read about a tremendous storm. Uh, a great tempest came upon Paul and them in this ship. The word tempest here literally means typhoon. This is one of at least five major storms that you're going to find in the Bible that deal with a ship and people being in that ship at sea. The first one, of course, is Noah and the ark. I suppose that'd be the greatest storm of all because it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. It was a storm of judgment upon this world. And then I read about a storm in the life of Jonah, in Jonah chapter 1. This storm was set due to Jonah's disobedience. And God set the storm. And Jonah's in a ship because he doesn't want to do what God told him to do. Jonah goes in the opposite direction, has enough money to find... He finds a ship going to Tarshish. He gets on that ship. And for the first part of that voyage, everything seemed to be going okay. But the Bible says God sent a strong east wind and a great tempest came upon that ship to where there's mariners. These were men who were used to sailing, were greatly afraid. Now we come to the book of Matthew chapter 8, we find where the disciples get in the ship. The Lord told them, said, let us go to the other side. And the Lord is asleep in the bottom of that ship. But the Bible says there was a great tempest that came upon the sea. Tremendous storm. I want to submit to you this morning that each of the storms I'm talking about was a, not just an average storm, not just an above-average storm. but It was a storm beyond anything those under consideration, those who were involved in, had ever seen or ever experienced in their life. Come to Matthew chapter 14. The Lord tells the disciples, cranes to get in the ship to go to the other side, and he goes into a mountain to pray. While he's on that mountain to pray, a great storm comes upon the sea the Lord will come down from that mountain, of course, and walk on that sea to his disciples. And then we have this storm in Acts chapter 27. When you compare all these storms, you will notice no one that was in these ships died, nobody. When it comes to the ark, and Noah, there was only eight in the ship, in the ark. Now, everybody outside the ark perished and they died. But everybody on this ark, those eight souls, Noah and his family, We're all safely delivered through that great storm of judgment. In the case of Jonah, you're going to find where those mariners were greatly afraid of their lives. But when they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and Jonah was separated from them, they don't know what happened to Jonah. They don't. We do. They didn't. But the Bible says, then the storm ceased and the great calm came and they continued on their journey. When he went out of sight beneath the waves, I'm sure they figured he probably perished. But we know, of course, God prepared a great fish, and the great fish swallowed Jonah, kept him for three days and three nights, and eventually brought him up on dry ground. When you come to Matthew chapter 8, you're going to find where the Lord is awakened by the cries of his disciples. And the Lord speaks to the storm, calms the storm. He says, Peace be still, the wind quit blowing, the waves subsided. And the disciples and the Lord Jesus Christ made it safely to the other side. In Matthew chapter 14, the Lord Jesus Christ comes walking upon the water. This is where Peter gets out of the ship, walks to the Lord, until the eyes was taken off Christ, looked at the circumstances, the waves, the wind, etc. Began to sink, and the Lord reached out and took hold of it by the hand when he cried, Lord, save me. And the Bible says, then they were all safely delivered to the other side. They we come here in Acts chapter 27, and you're going to find there's 276 people on this ship. There was 12 on the ship in Matthew 8, 12 on the ship in Matthew 14, 8 in the ark. I don't know how many was in the ship in Jonah's day, but probably just a few, a few mariners and Jonah himself. But in this ship here, there's 276 people. And in this case here, this ship eventually is going to be totally destroyed, but everybody on this ship is going to be totally spared and delivered. You think, uh, when you think of the year 2020, when I do, I feel like I have been in a storm since March. What about you? In a storm like I've never been in, in my entire life. Tremendous storm, right? There's lessons in Acts 27 I want us to take a look at here this morning. The Apostle Paul is on this ship because he's appealed to go to Caesar, but he's also on this ship because the Lord has told him he's going to get to Rome. When you see everything Paul went through after the Lord told him that, if there was ever any words the Lord uttered that you might think, well, it didn't come to pass, this would be one of them, but I can assure you the words he stated came to pass. Okay. So we look at Acts chapter 27, and we find on this ship is going to be a man named Luke. Luke is the human writer of the book of Acts. He's on the ship with Paul. There's a man named Aristarchus on the ship with Paul. In Colossians chapter 4 and verse 10, the Apostle Paul calls him his fellow prisoner. Then you got a centurion on this ship whose name is Julius, he was a centurion of the Augustus band. Then you got the owner of the ship, and you got the master of the ship, the pilot, and then you got prisoners. All total together, 276 people that's on this ship right here. Now, Paul was a prisoner himself on this ship. But if everybody on this ship, as you'll see, hopefully, Lord willing, as we go through it, Paul will be the most important person on this ship. And everybody on this ship is going to owe their life to this one man, the Apostle Paul. Doesn't mean they know it, doesn't mean they understand it. Just like those mariners over there in the book of Jonah... Uh, That storm went away once they separated themselves from Jonah. The Lord was dealing with one man there, Jonah. And once he separated Jonah from the rest, he let the rest go on. Then he dealt with Jonah. Okay? So when you come to the beginning of Acts chapter 27, you've got to find where all these men are committed unto the care of Julius the centurion. When you read about the centurions in the Bible, they're always brought to us in favorable light. A centurion was a Roman soldier who was in charge of about 100 men. There was a centurion at the cross of Christ, remember? And he gave testimony at the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Behold, this was a righteous man. Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 is the first Gentile that we have a record of, a written record of, that heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a centurion of the Italian band. And then we got this centurion. That's more than just these three, but here's three, the main centurions in the Bible. And this centurion right here is going to be a very important person in what we read about here in this storm. But they load up on the ship, and they cover the first 80 miles pretty successfully, not a problem. And after that, this centurion lets Paul get off the ship and be refreshed by his friends. Now, when you're reading this, you might just read over it real quickly and not think much about it. But I believe this is a very important thing here that God put it in the heart of this centurion to let Paul, a prisoner, have liberty off that ship for a short period of time to be refreshed by his friends. I, if you're like me, it's a blessing me to be refreshed by you. When I meet with you every Sunday morning, my soul is refreshed. Just being in your presence refreshes my soul. To see your faces refreshes my soul. That's why I'm, well, I'm so thankful for things like Zoom and for streaming and for you know, things of this nature where we've been blessed to uh, enable a lot of people to hear the, hear the gospel message, one thing and another. But I want you to understand very clearly that that's no substitute for what you're doing here this morning. That is no substitute. Eventually, we need everybody back together here. Okay, That is no substitute. Thank God for it. It's a great blessing, but it's not a substitute. We need the presence of one another. We need to see one another. We need to acknowledge one another. My heart just gets lifted up when I see your faces, when I'm able to interact to the extent that we're able to interact as we have here this day. It's very important to be in the house of God. Paul is refreshed by his friends. Well, then they get back on the ship, and now as they sail, and th- this chapter is filled with a lot of details, that's why I'm not going to read it all. As they sail, they begin to encounter some, some contrary winds. Things didn't go quite as smooth. They finally reach a plate called, place called Fairhaven. And in Fairhaven, a decision has to be made. Do we continue onward or not? Alright, the Bible tells us it was past the fast, F-A-S-T, that was a Jewish fast of the Day of Atonement. That means we're looking at the last of September, the first of October, and winter is about to settle in. That means winter storms are on the way. You know we have what we call hurricane season. Certain time of the year where you can expect storms to start forming in the Caribbean down there, and then we start hearing about them in one thing and another. Well, that's what we're talking about right here. The Apostle Paul <coughs> is going to issue a warning that's not going to be heeded. Notice in Acts chapter 27, we're going to look at uh, verse 9. Now, when much time was spent and when Salem was now dangerous, because the fast was now already past, Paul admonished them. Now, you're going to learn something about Paul in this chapter that you may never see anywhere else in his life. You're going to see a man display great courage. You're going to see a man display great leadership. He gets on this ship as a prisoner before it's all said and done. He becomes the captain. Paul admonished them and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage not only of the laden and ship but also of our lives. So who is Paul? What does he know anyway, right? He's a prisoner along with all these other prisoners. So the centurion said to him, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only the laden of the ship, but also of your lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and owned the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. There's the owner of the ship. There's the master. He talks with them. I think we can conclude that they must have told him things that was contrary to what Paul said. Their mission is to get to Rome. A decision has to be made. Paul says, if I were you, I'd stay right here. I wouldn't go any further. But they're not going to listen to Paul. And the man of God oftentimes finds himself in that position. People just don't listen to him. There's been a lot of times people didn't listen to me. And I knew I was right. I've tried to counsel people many times, and I know what I was telling them was right because I was reading it right out of the Word of God, but their actions behavior proved they didn't listen to me. I even told them ahead of time what was going to happen. I'm no prophet, but I know what God's word says. I've studied it long enough to know what it says. I've been around long enough to study human nature. I could tell them exactly what's going to happen. You do this, this is what's going to happen right here. You just mark it down. They didn't listen to me. Came to pass exactly what I said. Took place. They didn't listen to the man of God. man of God often finds himself in that position. Sometimes a man of God preaches over a period of time and he just finds concludes, well, nobody's really listening. <laughs> nobody's at least paying attention. Nobody's listening. I mean, it looks like they are, but the behavior tells me they're not. They're not applying what I've said. You know, that pastor's going to feel that way from time to time. In fact, from week to week a lot of times. <laughs> but, you know, uh, there's time, there's verses in the Bible that teach that I'm supposed to admonish I'm supposed to reprove and rebuke and exhort if it wasn't in the Bible I'd quit doing it if I just came up with it on my own I'd just quit doing it because I don't see much results but I know it's in the Bible so if it's in the Bible I'm under obligation to do it so from time to time I'm going to reprove I'm going to rebuke, I'm going to admonish I'm going to try to encourage you the best that I can because maybe it's happened more than I see you know what I mean? Now, I'm not uh, picking on you here this morning. I'm just giving you how all pastors feel. All pastors feel this way from time to time. So Paul says you shouldn't go. He said, I I can tell you right now, there's going to be a lot of hurt done to this ship and also our lives if you travel on. But the centurion listened to the master of the ship. Centurion listened to the owner of the ship. And then there's one more factor to bring into consideration here. Verse 13, and when the south wind blew softly. That was a good sign, he thought. Supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loose and thence they sailed close by Crete. Decisions made. Paul loses. They continue to sail. Now, when Jonah first got on that ship, sailing was smooth for a little while to the Lord sent the storm. And they uh, start off with a soft wind. But I want you to notice that changes in verse 13, 14. But not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurokaline. That word tempestuous means typhoon. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. It means they're losing control. Things are going in the wrong direction. You know, there's a lot of metaphors that we use in life that relate, uh, you know, when we talk about our journey of life, uh, that are related to what I'm talking about this morning. How many times, uh, you know, you hear somebody say, well, how smooth sailing. Or maybe a parent's getting ready to tell their child going off to college, now listen, don't make shipwreck. What happens? The parent knows that there's a very good possibility of shipwreck right ahead. Somebody dies. They say, well, they finally made it to the other shore. You know, all type of metaphors are used to describe the journey of life here. May the wind always be in your sail instead of against your sail. Sink or swim. Ever heard that one? Somebody throws you into the pool and says sink or swim. That never didn't make sense to me. I mean, if you can't swim, why say sink or swim? If you can't swim, why don't you say you're going to sink? I mean, how can you sink or swim if you can't swim? And yes, throw somebody in there and so say, sink or swim. But people do that. So here, this great storm comes. Everything's beginning to unfold, everything's beginning to come apart. And when the ship was caught and could not bear to the wind, we let her drive and run under a certain island, which is called Clauta, We had much work to come by the boat, which when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands straight sail and were so driven. And we being exceedingly tossed with the tempest, the next day they lightened the ship. And the third day we cast out our own hands the tackling of the ship. And we neither sun nor stars in many days appeared and no small tempest lay on us, which means it was a great tempest, a great storm. All hope that we should be saved was then taken away. You couldn't get any worse position than that condition all hope that we could be going to be saved is now taken away we hadn't seen the sun nor the moon the stars in days if you total all this up we're talking about two weeks period of time all hope In other words, they reached the conclusion we're not going to be rescued we're not going to make it land we're going to die here at sea that's their conclusion now i believe there was one man on this ship at least it did not believe that and that's paul why? Because what the Lord told him in Acts 23, 11, If they die at the sea, then Paul doesn't get to Rome. If they die at sea, Paul doesn't get to testify of God in Rome. God says, Paul, you're going to Rome and you're going to testify in Rome. There's at least one that did not believe that. But in general, everybody on that ship reached a conclusion, we're going to die right here. Uh, our cemetery is going to be the ocean. We're going to die right here. All hope of being saved was lost. But then Paul spoke. But after long absence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me. I just love that. <laughs> Paul couldn't help himself. You know, Paul, it shows Paul just as human as I am. He says, Sirs, you should have listened to me. You should have hearkened unto me and not loose from crete and have gained this harm and loss. But he doesn't dwell on it. He just throws it out there. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer. Now, at this point, I wonder what they thought. Here this man stands up in front of us, reminds us we should have listened to him. Okay, all right. And then tells us to be of good cheer. Why should we be of good cheer? Because Paul is getting ready to bring a heavenly message. Paul is getting ready to bring a message that God has given unto him from heaven. Let's notice what it is. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God whose I am and whom I serve saying fear not Paul thou must be brought before Caesar. He reiterates what he'd already told him. And lo God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. God didn't have to do that. God could just spare Paul. He's going to spare everybody on that ship. There's some mean fellows on that ship. There's some serious criminals on this ship. No doubt many of the criminals on this ship are going to to be executed. Evil men, wicked men. But yet God is going to spare every single person on that ship along with Paul. Be of good cheer. You ever heard that before? You heard it a little earlier when I quoted to you Acts 23.11. When the Lord stood by Paul during the night and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, as you've given testimony of me in Jerusalem, thou shalt also bear witness at Rome. But notice the Lord concluded John chapter 16 that way. Just before he goes to the cross, he gives a farewell message to his disciples in John 14, 15, and 16. Here's how he concludes chapter 16. He says, The words I speak unto you, I speak unto you that you might have Peace. He said, in this world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. For I have overcome the world. The expression be of good cheer means to be cheerful. It means to have comfort. But be of good cheer. Why? Because I've overcome the world. Yeah, you're going to have tribulation in the world. But be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. And the words I speak unto you, these words will give you peace. It's my peace that I give unto you. When the man came to where Jesus was in the house, his four friends brought him there. They let him down through a hole in the roof. You know the first, first words Jesus said to that man? He says, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. Paul tells those here to be of good cheer, just like the Lord told him to be of good cheer. He tells them be of good cheer because I had a message last night from a messenger from heaven, uh, the angel of God. There should be no loss of any man's life among you. That should have got their attention. But of the ship. For there stood by me this night. There stood by me. This is an expression that Paul uses oftentimes when he talks about the companionship of God. In 2 Timothy 4, 16 and 17, he tells us at my first call, it says, no man answered me. No man stood by me. But verse 17 says, but the Lord stood by me. Again, Acts 23, 11, at night the Lord stood by Paul. That's the expression we use a lot of times, isn't it? You know, we're talking about how so-and-so has stood by me all these years. I have a faithful wife. She stood by me all these years. He's been my rock. He stood by me all these years. That means when I needed help, that person was there. That person's by my side. That person uh, was there to encourage me, to help me, to uh, to hold me, to to calm me, do all kinds of things I stood in need of. That person stood by me. Paul says, the Lord stood by me. When all men forsook me, the Lord stood by me. That's a testimony of man, but what a testimony of God. He said, the angel of God stood by me this night, whose I am and whom I serve. Won't you think about that expression just for a moment? The angel of God stood by me of whom I am. He's not talking about being of the angels, he's talking about being of God. What does that mean? What's that expression mean? Here's what it meant to Paul. It meant to Paul that before time ever began, before God spoke this world into existence, he chose Paul as one of his children and gave him to his son in a covenant relationship. I believe before time ever began, God chose me in Christ. I believe he chose you in Christ. According to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should, be, uh, you know, we should be holy without blame before him left, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children. That's what it means to me. That's what it meant to Paul that he was unconditionally chosen. He was a chosen vessel. Remember Acts chapter nine when uh, God tells Ananias about Saul of Tarsus, he said, fear him not because he's a chosen vessel unto me. I believe it also meant to Saul or Paul that he had been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb of God. That's what it means to me. If I'm not mistaken in my experience of life, I believe the Lord and Jesus Christ died for me. I believe Christ shed his blood for me. I believe Christ paid my sin debt. I believe Christ put my sins away as far as the east is from the west. If he did not, what hope do I have? If my sins have not been put away, uh, again, as far as the east is from the west, I can tell you I will not see God's face in glory. He put him away, totally away, completely away. He redeemed me, justified me, reconciled me, delivered me from my sins. That's what it means to me. Last night, the angel of God, listen to this carefully. He says, there stood by me this night, the angel of God, whose I am. I belong to God and God belongs to me. I belong to him based upon the unconditional election. I belong to him based upon eternal redemption. I belong to him because there's a time in my life and times past when God came to me and born me of the Spirit of God. He delivered me from a state of death and sin to a state of life in Jesus Christ. He put a hope within my heart, within my breast, that I am one of his children. I belong to him and he belongs to me. That's what it means to me. That's what it meant to Paul. Paul could also say say that I'm his apostle, I'm his minister, I'm his servant. The angel of God appeared to me this night, stood by me, brought this message. Everybody on this ship is going to be delivered. This ship will be totally destroyed, but everybody on this ship shall be spared, shall be delivered. Whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, I must be brought before Caesar. Lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. I want you to remember that expression. He's given all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. The second time he admonished him to be of good cheer. For I believe God. That shall be even as it was told me. How important is it to believe God? If God said, I'll never leave you or forsake you, you know what I'm going to tell you? Believe it. If God said, I'll keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him, believe it. If the Lord said, I'll be with thee in the six troubles and the seventh, I'll not forsake you believe it. If the Lord said, it's because of my compassion that you perish not, believe it. Whatever the Lord has said, believe it. If the Lord said, you're my lambs, you're my sheep. If the Lord said, I know my sheep, you hear my voice, and they follow me, and I give you eternal life, believe it. If the Lord said, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and he has come out, no wise cast out, believe it the Lord said I came down from heaven not do my own will but the will of Him that sent me and this is the father's will. All he has given me I shall lose nothing but raise up again the last day. Believe it. If the Lord said I am your shepherd Psalms 23 I'm going to tell you David does not have exclusive rights on Psalms 23 he wrote it but I have a right to it you have a right to it. It's not copyrighted just for David the Lord is my shepherd believe it The Lord restores my soul. Believe it. The Lord leads me in the paths of righteousness. Believe it. The Lord leads me beside the still waters. Believe it. The Lord makes me lie down in green pastures. Believe it. The Lord prepares a table for me to press my enemies. Believe it. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Believe it. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Believe it. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Believe it. Oh, I could stay on this the rest of the day. But we never would get Paul to roll if I did that. I believe God. It should be just like he told me. Why should he believe anything else? Whatever God says is going to come to pass. I wish God's people listened more to God than they would the news. I wish they'd listen more to Grace Alone Radio than, than all the news networks. I wish they would listen more to me <laughs> than a lot of other sources. How be it we must be cast upon a certain island. I'm going to move on down here. In verse 30, 30 says, as the ship were about to flee out of the ship. you got some of these sailors who are trying to sneak away. When they let down the boat to the sea under color as though they would have cast anchors out of the four ship, Paul said to the centurion, to the soldiers, except these abide in the ship. You cannot be saved. What was God's promise to Paul? I'm giving you uh, everybody that sailed with you. They leave the ship, they don't make it. They leave the ship, they don't make it. Except you abide in the ship. You cannot be saved. Those soldiers went and cut off those boats and let them go. See, and turn listen this time. And while the day was coming on, Paul besought them all to take meat. Now this is is really a, a precious passage. Saying this day is the 14th day that ye have tarried Think about it, 14 days. Jew continued fasting, having taken nothing. They haven't eaten in 14 days. Wherefore, I pray you to take some meat, for this is for your health. For there's not a hair fall the head of any of you. What wonder what you're thinking. If you're in their shoes, wonder what you're thinking. This man's telling me not a hair. My head's going to perish. The ship's going to be destroyed, but I'm going to be delivered. Be of good cheer. And when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God. Tim's message this morning, importance to give thanks. He gave thanks to God. They hadn't eaten in 14 days. Paul brings out some food. He's going to thank God before they ever eat it. Have you ever been so hungry? You know, uh, I'll go pick up something maybe and bring it to the house and, caring to get it on the table and I need to run to the bathroom first she said, come on I'm hungry and I come back there and I catch her snitching a little something she said I, I, come on sit down let's have the blessing I said alright 14 days but before they take a bite he gives thanks Every time you find Jesus Christ presiding over a meal, whether it's a 5,000, the 4,000, or at the communion, he always gave thanks before he passed it out. Always gave thanks. I grew up in a home where we gave thanks three times a day. Breakfast, dinner, and supper. Practiced that all my life whether I'm at home, whether I'm in a restaurant, before we eat, we give thanks. He gave thanks and said then they all had good cheer. As we come to a conclusion, we're gonna come down to verse 41 and fall into a place where two seas met. They ran the ship aground and the four parts stuck fast and remained unmovable but the hind part was broken with the violence of the waves and the soldiers' counsel was to kill the prisoners lest in them should swim out and escape but the centurion willing to save who? Willing to save Paul. The centurion willing to save Paul. He was a prisoner. Kept them from their purpose and commanded they which could swim should cast themselves first in the sea and get to land and the rest some on board some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass, they all escaped safe to land. They all got safely delivered to the shore. The ship is broken to smithereens. There's nothing left of the ship. What did God say? The ship will be totally destroyed. Everybody on the ship will be delivered. 276 people Paul, Aristarchus, Luke, the centurion, the master, the owner, and all the soldiers and all the prisoners now, all safely delivered to shore. Some got there by swimming. Some got there by holding on the boards. One way or the other, they all made it safe to shore. And they're on an island called Malta, which means refuge. From there, they make their way to Rome. God's word came to pass just like he said fear not paul be of good courage be of good cheer as you have testified to me in jerusalem he said you shall also bear witness at rome look what paul had to go through to get to rome but if paul says god says you're going to get to rome you're going to get to rome okay and paul believed god when I mean, god revealed himself to him and paul brought the message it finally gave cheer to the people the centurion ended up believing Paul. Paul started off that journey as, the, as a prisoner. He wound up as captain of the ship. <laughs> captain of the ship. I encourage you to read chapter 28. When you get home, go back and read chapter 27. And then follow up with chapter 28. And see how, what they went through in chapter 28 on that island before they ever get to Rome. But they finally got there. And God's word came to pass just exactly like God said and I'm going to tell you something this morning, brother. I hope, I hope even in the midst of this coronavirus, I hope in even in the midst of all this that's going on in the world today, in our nation today, that you can leave here this morning with some good cheer. I want you to be of good cheer. Because just like Paul and him got through that great storm, that typhoon that destroyed the ship completely, but God's word came to pass. I can assure you God's not going to leave you nor forsake you. He's going to be with you every step of the way. And he will deliver you safely to the other shore. I don't you know I don't know uh, I don't know what's going to happen between now and the time that I leave this old world, but I know the day's coming when I leave this old world, I'll leave all this behind, right? And so let's let's don't hang our heads, brethren. Let's be thankful for what God's done for us here in the year two twenty. 2020. He's blessed us immeasurably. He's blessed us beyond description. He's blessed us abundantly. Uh, uh, look where we're at here today. Uh, without God's being, being in the rain, without God blessing us, we wouldn't be here this morning to sing praises, to honor Him, to see one another, to express our love and thanks to Him for what He's done for us. He's due all the praise and glory we could possibly give unto Him. So may we be of good courage this morning. May we be of good cheer. And I'll just say this. I've said before, about the only cheer some people have in this world comes in a box in the laundry room. It says cheer on the outside. That's about the only cheer they got in their whole household. But I got, we don't even have that kind of detergent. i tell you that. But we, we got the other kind of cheer in our household. Karen just bought something yesterday to go beside our, our fireplace. It's got big three big letters. It's J-O-Y, Joy. And she said, I just thought that reflected our lives and what, what we're all about. And I say, amen to that. Jesus first, oh, for others and ourselves, laugh. You keep that in mind, brother. I don't care what you're going through in life. You can be of good courage and be of good cheer in the year 2020, December the 6th. I think that's the date.